0: And the extra point is good.
1: Hour number two of extra point on this Monday, February 12th. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Enjoying a fun weekend of sports. Recapping Super Bowl 58. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs winners of three of the last five Super Bowls plus then of course we'll dive into in this hour the Phoenix Suns as well as ASU U of A hoops time for your phone calls if you'd like to join around twelve fifteen today 602 260 1060 is the number we'll get to you around 12 15 but first let's Reset the scene with today's poll questions and we'll get things started with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Uh, should the Chiefs be considered a dynasty after three championships in five seasons? Yes, growing in its lead now here at 70% of the vote, no trailing at 30%. We'll officially provide our answer today around 1230. Over on X at KDOS AM 1060, new overtime rules in effect. Should Kyle Shanahan have deferred after winning the overtime coin toss? We've now seen some movement here, and we're in a 50-50 split. So that's another question that we'll provide our answer around 1230. And I have a feeling there's an impassioned response coming up from Bob.
0: Probably impassioned and probably pretty brief. Okay. Like I never, probably should never say probably pretty brief until I'm after the fact pretty brief. <laughs>
1: Fair enough, fair enough. Let's get back into it with Super Bowl uh, 58. By the numbers, Patrick Mahomes, MVP, 34 of 46, 333 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, three sacks. He also had nine carries, 66 yards, and was the team's leading rusher. Isaiah Pacheco, 18 carries, 59 yards. His long rush was of 10 yards. Travis Kelsey, most of his – work being done in the second half with nine catches 93 yards and mccall hardman Three catches, 57 yards, one touchdown. and An unlikely hero as he started the season with the Jets. He only caught one pass with them in five games before he was traded to the Chiefs in October. Rasheed Rice, six catches, 39 yards. Some of those possession receptions that we had talked about. Also, Pacheco getting going in the, the screen game. Six catches for 33 yards. Before uh, I go any further here, You could talk about all the different things that Patrick Mahomes impresses you with but is one of the things that impresses you or at least maybe it impresses me that he takes what the defense is giving him so he has no problem when he needs to be a runner he has no problem when he needs to take the check down but then he also just has this ability to launch one deep on a dime uh, throw with throw a, a gazillion yards when he's on the run running away from the intended run across his body things of that nature that nobody has physical talents to do that but yet he plays with such poise and smarts
0: he did that for the majority of the last four games um even the kansas city uh, game against miami he, he did not necessarily do those things during the you know the regular season however which is one of the reasons that they were playing on the road as we mentioned earlier but uh you know certainly he did all those things yesterday with the exception of the first possession in the second half when he made a really bad decision and he made a really bad throw.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um the other things that caught my attention here for for the for the offense for the Chiefs, uh you know, he also has this ability to this is what all athletes aspire to have is you practice for the biggest moments. But then when you're in the biggest moments, how do you make sure that things don't get sped up? How do you make sure you yourself don't get sped up so that timing remains the same, so that you're still thinking clearly and you're able to execute in those biggest moments? And he just continues to have this, this clutch factor about him.
0: No, I totally agree with that. There's, yeah, I think that's inarguable. Yeah, I'm totally, totally on board there for sure.
1: And how do we think about Andy Reid uh, and his coaching and game plan uh, for this Super Bowl Fifty Eight?
0: Um, you know, pretty much what we expected. I mean, you know, I think that you know, really from first half to second half, you know, they just made more plays, and obviously down the stretch they did. And there were certainly some times in the first half you kind of thought that maybe this is what we saw during the regular season. Uh, you know, sputtering and not making all the plays. Kelsey with the one catch for one yard in the first half, et cetera. But certainly in uh, the second half and in the overtime, everything that he did seemed to be exactly what they needed to do. Uh, needed to do, And that worked out great for them in the end.
1: Special teams, uh, we talked about just how good special teams has been. You know, we revere Justin Tucker as the best current kicker in the league we obviously have Adam Vinatieri and his postseason success in the past Uh, do we now need to start really including Harrison Butker in those types of conversations with these guys he has the leg to do it in cold weather he has the accuracy they oftentimes play sometimes in managing clock situations to kick a field goal counting on him because they have so much faith in him
0: Absolutely. He should be included in that category. And, uh, you know, he was, uh, you know, go back to that clutch thing again. Uh, he's been at the last two years in the biggest game.
1: Now, the 49ers, they're still searching for a Super Bowl win. Uh, They haven't had one since 1994. And questions will mount about Kyle Shanahan in the big game. He was up 28-3 as Falcons offensive coordinator. Obviously, the 2019 loss to the Chiefs. And now another one here. Is it fair to start asking these types of questions?
0: Absolutely. I mean, he's zero and two in Super Bowl overtimes now. He's now zero and three in Super Bowls as a coordinator and head coach. He's led by 10 or more points in all three of those losses. So, absolutely, that should be questioned.
1: I thought this post-game quote from Nick Bosa was interesting, and I mean, I don't necessarily think he's wrong here. Uh, He says, "I, I feel like it was hard for anybody to say much after this one. We've been so close so many times that there's only so many opportunities that we have. We have an amazing core of players who are going to be back. We'll have to be better, but in terms of that opportunities portion of things yeah I mean ask right Dan Marino how many Super Bowls he like never got back to right you or you think you're going to have chances you only have so many of them
0: yeah I actually thought he played a pretty good game too by the way and uh you know so you know we got sucked in that one time on the uh, on one of the Mahomes runs but other than that I thought he played pretty well I'm not so sure. They've got plenty of decisions they have to make. Uh, you know, the cap thing situation for them. We mentioned way back in June or July that this is a kind of a Super Bowl or bust year for them. They're going to have to uh, – you know, the, the good thing is obviously they have a quarterback that's still on his quarterback contract and not a you know long, big-time money type of deal. Uh, but they've got to make some decisions on some guys too, and that's something that Vinny talked about a little bit during the Sports Zone today. As far as just a couple other things regarding the Niners, they did lose four starters in this game. You know, we mentioned Greenlaw earlier. You know, Debo went out for a while, and he said, or somebody, at least from the 49ers, said after the game that he was limited the rest of the contest. Even when he tried to come back, he rarely played, you know, more than a couple of consecutive plays, and I did notice that at the time. They also lost their left guard, Feliciano, to a leg injury. In the, when it was 13 to 10, with Kansas City leading 13 to 10, he didn't come back. And then the next last play of regulation, they lost their starting safety, Jair Brown, and he didn't return. And uh, clearly, that made a difference in the final drive of the game on a couple of the pass completions, including the game-winning touchdown. And uh, so those are four players that suffered injuries on a grass field. Uh, rarely do the media people talk about injuries on grass fields. So I'm the one to point it it out because nobody else apparently does, ever.
1: You know, the other thing you talked about with key – key questions for the roster positions for the 49ers they also made a bunch of moves before the trade deadline you know uh like a randy gregory um bringing in chase young that's kind of maybe the biggest biggest trade that they made before the deadline on the defensive side of the ball so just kind of what direction and where they're going to go go with that because clearly some of those moves felt like they needed some more some more depth
0: well both those guys had really good games in the first half uh, they were missing in action in the second half. And you know, I haven't watched uh, you know, the, the video and the game again, and I may not watch the game again, quite frankly, because we don't have another game to look forward to at this point. But for whatever reason, those guys made a huge difference in the first half, both of them, uh, with key plays. And uh, you barely or didn't really even know they were out there in the second half
1: that's true chase young had that monster monster sack randy gregory was popping up uh, on the screen and i was like whoa hey there he is
0: and chase young also made a couple of really good run defense plays and that's something we also talked about last friday this notion that he's only a pass rusher in, in ohio state and in his best days in washington he was really a good run defender before he was a pass pressure and uh, that was what he did best and uh You know, when they were floundering around the run game yesterday, uh, especially with, uh, obviously, with Pacheco, Young made a couple of big-time tackles on those
1: plays. 602-260-1060 is the number. If you'd like to chime in, we'll certainly take your opinions on Super Bowl 58. We'll also dive into the Suns with a crushing loss to the Warriors, 113-112 to on Saturday. ASU U of A hopes, hoops continuing their road trip over the weekend. We'll dive into all of that local hoops wise. In addition to your phone calls, 602-260-1060 is the number. It is the extra point.
0: Oh, oh. I also, I, I still got a couple more things on Kansas City to get to, but it only take the first like couple minutes of the next segment, I promise.
1: We look forward to it. 602-260-1060. It's good to hear is the number. Bob's Chiefs comments next, right here after the break. Listener rewards for you with the KTUS 1060
0: app. Download today to hear all of the national and local shows you love. That's the KTUS 1060 app.
1: 19, right here on KDOS AM 1060. It is the extra point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortelaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to chime in. Before we get to Phoenix Suns, ASU U of A Hoops discussion, uh, Bob, you got to empty the notebook, and it's the Chiefs time.
0: That's right. A little random note thing here. Empty the bucket type of stuff with the Chiefs. They beat the number one seeds in each conference Baltimore and San Francisco. We mentioned the McColl Hardman touchdown. That was the only touchdown he scored the entire season, uh, whether he was playing for the Jets or the Chiefs. Also, former uh, ASU defensive lineman Mike Pinnell uh, promoted the practice squad when Joe Tooney was placed on IR, and that's why Pinnell was playing. He had a really good game yesterday. Made some impactful plays against the run, especially. Uh, and uh, had the uh, he was part of the forced fumble there. Uh, Joe Tooney I mentioned he was inactive, and clearly that uh, made a difference I think because the Niners Javar, uh, uh, Javon Hargrave and also Eric Armstead they, they had really good games, and a lot of that was you know lined up against you know certainly the interior of the defense. And Jarek McKinnon another guy we talked about on Friday. He made a difference. Uh, you know, he made a big reception in the overtime in the, uh, during the game-winning touchdown drive there. That was on an audible. Uh, he also was, as we expected, was a third-down receiver and pass blocker, and uh, he delivered when he mat- when it mattered the most. So that was another thing we pointed out on Friday that actually happened yesterday. I'm done.
1: Okay. Well, let's move on to the Suns. Uh, they played the Warriors in Golden State on Saturday. It was an ABC basketball contest, and the Suns uh, lost a close one, 113-112. to 112. It was an inbounds play with 2.1 seconds to go. It was not a great pass for the Golden State Warriors. Bradley Beal tries to go for the steal. Steph Curry, though, finds a way to get the ball. He doesn't need much space. He doesn't need much anything. He turns, shoots, makes the three-pointer, and the Suns are now down one. Uh, To get to that point, though, there were a couple of big-time defensive breakdowns that certainly come to mind in the fourth quarter with a couple of minutes to go and resulted in some very easy layups for Draymond Green. But overall, I thought the game was played with a lot of intensity.
0: There was intensity, uh, but the Suns are just really bad in these close games. Uh, according to Clutch Time Sports, they're now four and, uh, four and nine in games decided in Clutch Time. Uh, you know, there's lots of reasons for this. Uh, you, know, you mentioned uh, a couple of those the bad defense, lack of a point guard, uh, lack of rebounding, uh, turnovers. They all come to mind for me. Uh, yeah, they also they still had a 96-94 lead yesterday with 6:07 remaining. They got outscored 19-16 for the rest of the game. Uh, the Warriors before yesterday were just 13 and 13 at home before Saturday, I should say, just 13 and 13 at home. Also, the Suns uh, had won the first three games of the season series against them, uh, but the Suns once again. Uh, lose. Uh, they did not lead after the third quarter. They have the most losses in the NBA when leading after the third quarter of this season with 10. And I think we should be at the point now where, you know, some of these things are still occurring when the big three are all playing. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously you mentioned uh, the defensive breakdowns. You Draymond Green. Completely outplayed Nurcic in their first meeting since the punch. Uh, Green was excellent, 15 points, 7 out of 9 shooting, 7 rebounds, 9 assists. Nurcic was less than excellent. Uh, he had 6 six points on 3 out of 7 shooting, 0 free, free throw attempts. The dude can't play defense. Uh, and uh, that's something we've been saying all year long and something we knew about before he came here from our friends in Portland telling us that. Uh, and uh, that's one of their biggest problems. And, uh, you know, basically Draymond Green, uh, with his offensive skills, not just passing the ball, you know, the nine assists, of course, but the fact that he's seven out of nine in any game, that uh, something going on there, and he had two or three very easy layups when he ran right past, right past Nurkic for easy hoops.
1: Devin Booker was 11 of 21, 32 points. KD 10 of 25, 24 points, 10 rebounds, and seven assists. Royce O'Neal he made his debut with 11 minutes, three points, four rebounds. Did O'Neal uh, stand out at all to you in any way, shape, or form?
0: Not, not really. Um, but I'm you know, certainly there's no reason to blame him for that. I mean, he's been to the team for like 24 hours or 48 hours, I guess. Uh, so uh, I would, I'm very curious to see how much he's going to play. Uh, he only played 11 minutes in this game, which you would expect in his first game with the new team, etc. But you know, who's, uh, how much does he play, and who sits because he's playing?
1: Um, yeah, I I mean, there's still time obviously to figure that out. As you mentioned, just 24. I I mean, maybe if this was a game that was not against the Warriors, uh, and it was an opponent that you would uh, think that the Suns could kind of take care of business pretty easily that we would see more Royce O'Neal and try to play with some more rotations. But when you're trying to win these types of games, you kind of have to go with the, the same unit that had been doing it up until this point.
0: Yeah, whatever in the same unit that can't stop anybody when it matters. And that happened again on Saturday. Uh, there's 30 games left in the season and that's, you know, I've say many times to the disgust of many, that the NBA regular season is a waste of time. It's maybe not as big a waste of time after the trade deadline. They've got 30 games to figure this out. I could care less what the rotations are in any NBA roster until at least this point on. So we'll try to monitor what the rotations are from this point on.
1: And for the standings, the Timberwolves remain out in front uh, 36 and 16, the Clippers 35 and 16, the Thunder 36 and 17, and the Nuggets 36 and 17. So that grouping very bunched together. Then you have the next grouping the Suns 31 and 22, the Pelicans 31 and 22, the Kings, who they play tomorrow night. 30-22, Thirty and twenty-two, the Mavs thirty and twenty-three. That's the next grouping, very bunched together. And then you have the Lakers at twenty-eight and twenty-six, and the Warriors trying to uh, fight their way into postseason conversation. Now back to five hundred at twenty-five and twenty-five.
0: And the Warriors are five and one their last six games, and uh, they also have a very good record since Draymond Green came back from the suspension. Now, once again, the one thing you do not want to do is finish below sixth. And uh, be in the seven through ten play-in round.
1: That is true, uh, very, very true. And you know what? Maybe also since Steve Kerr made that declaration that uh, he feels that this group is special enough to make some noise and make a push, they've so far answered the bell. It does help though when you have Steph Curry who can just make unbelievable shots. Uh, you know, from behind the arc. And like I said earlier, he doesn't need space. He just he finds a way to get to a spot and fires it up and it's swishing more times than not
0: well the one thing I've definitely noticed about the Warriors uh this season and the Suns have now played them four times so I've seen all those games they've they are playing much better defense now than they were early in the season and Kaminga has something to do with this and he's been a better all-around player for them and helps them with the defensive end among other things
1: transitioning to asu basketball after uh not losing at all at home this season utah now has lost to the u of a and asu in this weekend homestand it was asu 85 utah 77 and after what felt like uh, asu kind of just turning it in for the season they respond against the utes and get a win over
0: this utah team I think that Utah showed from the very first part of this game that they were out of gas. Uh, after the three overtime game against the U of A, where they had a whole bunch of dudes that played 40 or more minutes, that was a 55 minute game on on, on Thursday. Uh, ASU, you know, really after a slow start, you know, quickly uh, five six minutes into the game, uh, clearly was the best team from that point on. Uh, ASU had lost five in a row. Uh, be, uh, five five straight Pac-12 games before this win. Uh, this notion that this is going to turn the ASU season around, maybe it will, but I don't think it. You, know, you just say because they won on Saturday, they turned their season around. They were 11 and a half point underdogs. They also had a rare good shooting game behind the arc. We've talked about how horrible they are as far as three point shooters. Uh, they made 10 out of 22. That's 43 percent. And that's the biggest reason they won the game. Also, Jose Lopez uh, Perez, 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 excuse me, Perez, back in the lineup. Jose Lopez is a guy I knew in Prescott like 40 years ago. <laughs> uh, Jose Perez back in the starting lineup. Remember, he got benched in the second half against the Cal game. Did not start and did nothing in the game against Colorado on Thursday night. He ended up uh, starting and scoring 17 points. Jemaya Neal, who's actually started every game this season for ASU. Ended up with 16 points in that game. Also, ASU, 352 out of 354 teams in the nation in rebounding margin. They only got out-rebounded by five in this game. And actually, they had more second-chance points than Utah, 15-13. to I think that that was a big deal. ASU, as usual, had the points off turnovers advantage, which they almost always have even when they lose because they're really good at turning the ball over or forcing turnovers, I should say, from the opponent. They had a 21-16 edge as far as that goes. So we'll see if uh, this makes a difference moving forward for ASU. They, They play Oregon State on Thursday and the U of A on Saturday.
1: Speaking of the U of A, they beat Colorado 99 to 79. Caleb Love led the way with 19 points. Also, the Cats able to drop in threes with more frequency. 45.5 percent from behind the arc.
0: Yeah, I was really disappointed in Colorado's performance here. Um, in the U of A, once again, they played that same game, and they had a whole bunch of dudes that played you know 40 or more minutes, sometimes 50 or more minutes. Uh, they only play like seven or eight guys. Tommy Lloyd actually, after they had a you know, healthy lead in the second half, they, he was able to rest some guys you know, from the roughly 12-minute mark of the second half until like the six or seven-minute mark of the second half, and I thought that was very well done by him. They sweep the season series against Colorado. They beat them in Tucson last month, 97 to 50. Uh, but in that game, Cody Williams and Tristan De Silva, two of the three best players for Colorado, did not play. Now, both of those guys played on Saturday. Williams, who's from Perry High School, by the way, and Gilbert, and is actually considered the number one pick of the 2024 NBA draft, according to some mock drafters out there. He played 33 minutes on Saturday. He didn't do a damn thing. Uh, in fact, he didn't score for like the first 13 minutes of the game. He ended up with just eight points, one rebound, and zero assist. DeSelva was actually really good. He was the best player for Colorado on Saturday. He had 20 points in 27 minutes. This two-week, uh, two-game, excuse me, uh, streak—the uh, the weekend for the U of A, Thursday and Saturday, two-game sweep. Uh, I actually think this was the most impressive two-game performance for the U of A in the three seasons since Lloyd has been the head coach, Uh, with the exception of a Pac-12 tournament run. But on the road to win these games, considering they had so many road issues uh, in December and then losing three conference road games at the end of December and start of January, this was a highly impressive two-game sweep. They actually needed to win this game because if they lost the game on Saturday, Washington State, which has now won five straight and eight out of nine would have been first place in the conference because they would have the tiebreaker or would have had the tiebreaker against the U of A.
1: Some other things around college hoops over the weekend. UNC beat Miami 75-72. Kansas beat Baylor 64-61. Houston beat Cincinnati 67-62. But Tennessee lost to Texas A&M 85-69. Michigan State upset Wisconsin 78-56. And then Gonzaga, desperately needing a win, comes out on top 89-85 over Kentucky.
0: The Gonzaga Kentucky game, I think, was the biggest thing for me. Uh, Gonzaga, that's their first quad one win of the season. Uh, They've had several opportunities before. Now, how Washington is a quad one team is just a joke, but that's, you know, there's a lot of things about the metrics in college basketball which I think are a total joke. Uh, you know the fact that say Ohio State is a quad one team so far and had lost a billion games in a row until they got lucky on Saturday and won at home in overtime. That's one of them. Washington, a top, a quad one team. You really? You got to be kidding. Uh, you, you know, who are they actually beaten to be a quad one team? They beat Gonzaga, I guess. That be, but they're not. They, they, it's, it's nuts. These stupid. I, I just don't understand. I understand the metrics that, you know, you have to have them, but you know there are so many back metrics, especially in college basketball, that don't come close to paying attention or, you know, matching up with the eye test, not even close. Uh, but that's a big win for Gonzaga. I think they're still going to need to do more from what I'm told from the metrics people. So we'll see what's up with that. Kentucky has lost three straight home games. The first time ever, that they've lost three straight home games in Rupp Arena. The last time that Kentucky lost three straight home games was in 1966. Oh, wow. Whew, okay. Yes. that's, an... that, that's a, I don't remember the, the dump that they used to play in before Rupp Arena, which I've actually been to when I was like 10 years old and thought it was a dump then when you don't have an opinion of anything being a dump when you're 10 years old. But I remember... It was a dump then. You know, the Ohio State Arena was far more um, uh, you know, modern, out of lack of a better term for me, in 1967, I guess, when we were there. Uh, when Ohio State actually went to Kentucky and won. Uh, but uh, you know, we were at that game. Was, uh, my dad and I went to that contest. Uh, but that, that's the first time that uh, they've ever lost three straight in Rupp Arena in the old place in 1966 is the last time they lost three in a row at home. And they play home tomorrow night, too, against Old Miss, and they could lose that game.
1: Setting records in 2024, possibly.
0: They've given up 90 or more points in all these games they've lost, by the way. It just backs up what we've been saying for weeks about Kentucky's defense or lack thereof.
1: On the other side, it's poll question time. KDOS1060.com poll question, as well as over on X at KDOS AM 1060. We get into it next. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you on this Monday, February 12th. Poll questions are coming up.
0: NFL coverage and the biggest stories coming to you from three to five p.m. The Rich Eisen Show here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. Twelve forty, right here on KDUS AM
1: 1060. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro, here with you up until one o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. It's time to get into today's poll questions, of course, piggybacking off of Super Bowl Fifty-Eight, and let's get started with the KDOS1060.com poll question: Should the Chiefs be considered a dynasty after three championships in five seasons?
0: Once again, for the record, Webster's number two definition of dynasty is quote a powerful group of uh, a group or family, a powerful group or family that uh, maintains its uh, position for a consecutive time. So you can make what you want out of that and make your own you know, assertions, and it, you know, maybe that helps you answer the question. Uh, right now, I'm reluctantly saying yes to the dynasty question because certainly in this day and, day and age of uh, professional sports, winning three out of five years uh, qualifies as a, uh, a dynasty. I will add this, though. If the Chiefs win again next season, uh, they'll be the first NFL team ever to 3P during the Super Bowl era, and that would no doubt answer the Dynasty question.
1: So I think for me, uh, I'm more on the absolutely side of things. Um, You know, it's so hard to go to one Super Bowl, let alone to go to – Be winners of three of the last five. And to have that consistency, to keep teams together, to keep health together, the work that it takes to keep having uh, the target on your back, to keep uh, having that hunger to be back for more and more and more. To also, I think, to include in there for me, uh, you've been in the AFC Championship game every year that Mahomes has been the starter. So on top of that, you're putting yourself constantly in these positions to play in postseason games. And when you look at this year, particularly with where the Chiefs finished in the standings and how they had to go about winning these games and where they had to go on the road. For the rest of the AFC, it seemed like this was a golden opportunity to, to keep them at home and on the sidelines, and they weren't able to do it. Uh, so for me, I'm on the, the side of, uh, yes, they, this is now considered a dynasty.
0: The only minor pushback I have on that, or not necessarily that, but just the, the idea of the dynasty thing, is that there are far fewer elite teams in the NFL right now than they have been in 30 or 40 years. And granted, there's an extra round of the playoffs and something could go wrong, obviously. But I actually think it was much more difficult in the shorter period of time against the better teams, especially in the NFC in the 80s and the 90s that whoever the champion was had the beep. To me, that was a bigger accomplishment than what we've seen uh, from the Chiefs at this point. But, as I mentioned, if they win next year, you know, I'll have a totally different tune here.
1: Uh, the masses, they are on the yes side of things at 75% of the vote, no sitting at 25%. This is KDOS1060.com's poll question. Tossing this on over to X at KDOS AM 1060. Should Kyle Shanahan have deferred after winning the overtime coin toss? So for me, I immediately said uh, to the group I was watching the game with, why they why did they accept accept to receive here? Um, because with the overtime rule changes, I would think you would want to have the ball second in these scenarios so that you would know exactly what you have to do, Uh, whether you can just win the game with a field goal because you forced a three and out on defense, whether or not you know you need a touchdown. If I don't know, this would be absolutely like the biggest gutsy move ever if you're going to try to go for two to win the game uh, in those particular situations. But you have more options available to you uh, if you're going second. I guess I I've also now heard a few more people saying that it's fine that he uh, took the ball there to start because the prevailing thought here is that uh, if you're able to tie it up with two scores then you're the next team that wins so you're playing for essentially that third possession but I disagree with that philosophy and in the moment I said why would he do that so I'm not going to change my mind now.
0: That's exactly why Shanahan said he did it. After the game and the post game. you know they, they said he they talked about this, and the metrics said, you want the third possession. Okay, um, I too, uh, I, yeah, there's a couple words I try to avoid using uh, doing this job, uh, if it's a job, doing this whatever we're doing here. Uh, a couple words I try to avoid unless I really mean them. Great is one word. I think that's the most overused word in the sports. I think that shocked is the second word that I try to avoid, unless I absolutely positively mean it. I was shocked when Shanahan elected to take the ball. As you mentioned, college football, they don't have exactly the same overtime rules, but there are almost no college football quarter uh, coaches, I should say, that take the ball for the reason that you, you just talked about. you. you need to know you know they they want to know what they need to do once they get the ball uh bottom line i didn't hear hardly anybody uh defending shanahan for this whether it was cbs romo at the time once again i'm going to repeat this one last time i'm obviously not a big romo fan but i thought he had an excellent game yesterday uh also espn all their talking heads for the most part the last night and this morning Uh, they all disagreed with, you know, some of them very strongly with the decision NFL network last night. And then a little bit this morning on good morning football, he made a big mistake. Uh, I don't care about the metrics and what you're supposed to do metrically in this case. Uh, He completely screwed up and uh, you know, he's going to have to think about this for a really long time or if he never wins a super bowl, This is going to continue to come up throughout his year. whatever we talk about him, this is going to come up.
1: The masses are now on the no side of things at 52% of the vote. Yes, sitting at 48%. This is over on X at KDUS AM 1060. Um, You know, what do you make about, uh, I I don't know how many of the 49ers players didn't know the overtime rules, but some of them did say that. Uh, What do you make of that?
0: Well, I'm not sure how many Chiefs players made up. You know, obviously, Mahomes made a big deal about it after the game that they all knew what was the situation. Well, that's not true. Hard- Hardman scored the game winning touchdown. He had no idea, none, that the game was over. And I'm guessing uh, some other, not every Chiefs player knew what actually was occurring at that point until they saw Mahomes or maybe others started to jump around. Hardman obviously had no clue that they had just won the game. So I think that uh, – I don't know if it, this is more people piling on Shanahan or whatever, but, you know, that's you – know, I don't think it – do you think it actually made a difference in how the players played in the overtime because they didn't know what the rules were?
1: You know, to, to me, no, uh, because you're still supposed to go yeah. out there and execute what the, the play call is, uh, whether offense, defense, whatever. Um, the other thing, too – is that when they got on the defensive side of the ball, they knew that if they they had they had no other choice but to prevent them from getting in the end zone. So that's your whole yeah. task and your whole goal. So I'm I think I agree with you on on that philosophy there that it's not going to change how they play and approach it from that standpoint. I also have a hard time imagining uh, that at some point maybe it's not Kyle Shanahan addressing the whole team, but at some point a position coach or something is not talking to his group of players and identifying uh, different possible scenarios that could potentially play out. Uh, I have a hard time believing that when you are as prepared as as they seem to be on a week to week basis, that that wouldn't have at least
0: come up. Yeah, I don't totally disagree with that, but I don't think it made any difference that McKibbitts, you know, didn't know the rules when he wasn't able to block Chris Jones the last time they had the ball.
1: Uh, probably not. No, His the focus is how do I stop this man from bulldozing me over.
0: And uh, he wasn't even close to him. Basically, he just like whiffed. So, yeah. So I don't. Uh, I don't think it really mattered. Uh, I know a lot of people were jumping on this, especially this morning. I, Mike Greenberg lost his mind. Hopefully, he's going to live, find it again. And you know, I thought he was going to have a heart attack on, uh, on on Get Up this morning, going over this.
1: We wrap this Monday edition up on the other side of the break. It is the extra point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you. One more to go. Coming up next.
0: latest sports topics weekly right here on KDUS AM 1060 with me the Doug Olive Show 1 3 p.m.
1: February 12th edition of Extra Point, right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. But it's that time. Once again, Bob, it is thank you time.
0: As always, we thank you for listening. Special thanks to the callers, emailers, tweeters, texters, whomever, whatever else slipped into the cracks. Also, our guest today Super Bowl analysis during the sports zone, Vinnie Iyer from the Sporting News. Sound day courtesy of CBS Sports, ABC, ESPN. And also special thanks, as always, to uh, Kayla, Corey, and Aaron. And Kayla was going to tell us what's coming up next.
1: Up next from 1 to 3 p.m., it is the Doug Gottlieb Show, followed by the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5. The Sports Zoo with Dave Rooster Bierstein from 5 to 6. Monday Night Golf with Ray Adams from 6 to 7. And James Out West from 7 to 8 tonight. Uh, I saw this here. That according to the Wall Street Journal, uh, Joe Flint. The NFL, is, or excuse me, Amazon is getting an exclusive playoff game. So apparently, this was this year's NBC Peacock game, when they tried to retain. Uh, they tried to retain the game for this upcoming season, but there's some sort of clause in Amazon's contract that allows Amazon to snatch the game. I'm curious to see if there's going to be any more development of uh, streaming games and playoff games etc because all the metrics i guess prove that nbc and the peacock streaming absolutely crushed it it was like one of the highest uh interactive days on on the internet they had all these signups there was a lot of things that really proved that uh we are headed in that direction
0: yeah well hopefully not anytime soon for me because i don't have any streaming services and hopefully when they do have that game it's on a saturday and not on a Sunday when we have a quick turnaround before our Monday show, because <laughs> I can watch it as long as they have the uh, the replay on the NFL Network, literally like three hours after the game ends, uh, then I'm okay.
1: Did any commercials stand out to you?
0: You know, I didn't watch any of them. I, you know, I'm sure I'm going to see them a million times here in the next few days, here in a few weeks, and maybe months, depending on the you know the spots. Uh, But uh, I was either, you know, I was doing my notes or, you know, basically, yeah, I was actually, you know, some of these timeouts go for a while. I was uh, actually, uh, you know, listening to a college basketball podcast that I had recorded uh, during some of those timeouts. So I didn't see really any of the the commercials. So I should have just, as soon as you said that, I should have said no and asked you if you saw anything that caught your attention.
1: Uh, the Dunkin' Donuts commercial with um, J. Lo, uh, Ben Affleck, um, Matt Damon, and Tom Brady was pretty funny. Um, you know, actually, there was not really a whole lot of commercials that made me me laugh hysterically. So that's kind of the main one that sticks out and most of us thought was pretty good. Uh, there's a, um, an actor, Michael Sarah, and he was doing something for this face cream, V, and that was pretty funny. Uh, but otherwise, it was kind of a, a lackluster year for, for these Super Bowl commercials. And I Let's was... See, part- sorry, go ahead.
0: I'm, no, no, you go ahead.
1: I was also just going to say, and I was really looking forward to Usher... And I was a little bit disappointed with that, too. It was just kind of blah. I know there was a lot of odes to his residency in Las Vegas. And so that part was kind of cool from a choreographic standpoint. Uh, But it wasn't really until like little John and uh, uh, Ludacris came out that we kind of all the group of us perked up a little bit. It was just kind of kind of bland.
0: Okay, well, I'm old and I wouldn't know any of those people if they came down and sat in front of me right now.
1: I've been seeing a lot of uh, people's takes, though, and i uh, apparently in the minority of those opinions on the bland Super Bowl halftime show. I guess we were, just, uh, we were just treated to a lot of fun last year with Rihanna, so that's, like, still in my head.
0: Okay, and I don't know if she's uh, – actually, I've seen her before. I mean, she's an attractive lady, but I don't know if I would recognize her <laughs> if she walked in my door right now. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't
1: that'll do it for this Monday edition of extra I'm, point I'm officially I'm
0: officially done after that take right
1: Bob will try to figure out who Rihanna is by tomorrow's sports zone which starts at 10 a.m.